Hello, and welcome to the Investment Week podcast for June, where we speak to leading investors about the most important issues on their minds. I'm your host, Anna Fedorova. I'm the Deputy News Editor of Investment Week. Investment Week has been the premier publication serving professional investors in the UK since 1995. You can find out more about us by visiting www.investmentweek.co.uk. In this episode of the podcast, we're talking to leading fund managers about fund capacity and the importance of keeping funds to a manageable size to maintain liquidity and strong performance. Joining us to talk about the topic and their own funds are three top managers who attended our Funds to Watch event earlier in the month. And here with me is Clive Beagles, fund manager at Jerohambro Capital Management. Now, Clive, you soft-closed your Jerohambro UK equity income fund um, a while back, but um, a lot has happened with the fund since then. So could you talk us um, through a little bit of the, the history of the fund? Yep. Um, obviously, the fund is uh, slightly over 10 years old. Um, and uh, when we launched the fund in November 2004, we sort of set a kind of indicative capacity limit of around £750 million on the uh, on the fund. Um, obviously, since then, you know, an awful lot has happened, as you say, with a, a long passage of time. Um, and actually, you know, unit price has broadly trebled since then. Um, but we have had a couple of phases in which we've tried to limit um, the sort of inflows into the fund because we, effectively we want to try and keep the style and credentials of the fund today similar to, to how they were when we first launched. And we've always had a, a heavy sort of bias towards mid and small cap stocks. They make up about 45% of the fund. And at the moment, we've got about 17 or 18% in small cap. I think because of that, I think a lot of um, a lot of uh, a lot of our owners of the fund, clients uh, of the firm, like the fact the fund has a different uh, shape to it in, in that regard it's not full of the same same old same old names you know national grid glaxo at all all at the top it's got a different list of stocks and i think people have always appreciated that and at the same time i think that's been a, a major reason why we've managed to significantly outperform most of the peer group over that time and what have been the key difficulties that you faced in in managing the capacity of the fund especially since the soft closure Yes, well, I think we've been keen not not to hard close the fund because we're conscious if we do that, then it may actually force some clients to have to redeem when they don't want to because if it's sitting in a model portfolio, that may be something that it forces them to do. Um, and of course, in a world of sort of platform distribution, um, it, it is a little bit harder to control flows, you know, both in and out of, of funds than, than might otherwise initially appear. So to some degree, you know, we've been very, very um, vocal um, in terms of suggesting that, you know, we'd rather not be running more money. But, you know, it is an open-ended investment um, company after all. And so the fund, you know, it is, is open, but we'd, we'd prefer to only take limited flows from existing investors rather than take significantly large new investments. When you were originally talking about capacity, you sort of set a limit on, on the fund size of around £750 million. Do, do you think something could have been done differently at the time? Yes, I mean, the problem with coming up with an absolute number is, is obviously um, people like yourselves uh, constantly uh, bring it up when the fund size is well above that. I mean, I mentioned earlier on that, you know, obviously the, the market's gone up a lot since then, particularly if you reinvested your income. You know, broadly, the fund size has, as I say, the fund unit price has broadly trebled. I mean, I guess what we were trying to do at that time was trying to give it an indication of the kind of, if you like, the sort of market share that we'd like to have. And if that meant, you know, and it's hard to precisely measure that. But I think that was the sort of indicative market, 750 million to a billion pounds sort of broadly when the market level was about half where we are today was a sort of meant that you know at the bottom end of our fund we'd probably own you know individual comp six or seven percent of an individual company's equity that's that's the sort of level we don't want to go above and those are the broad parameters that we've stuck to today that limit is about eight or eight and a half percent so that's what we've tried to do and I think that is a more 
meaningful kind of you know measure if you like than a than a single number which obviously if you like people are constantly sort of marking to market against where you are today now you're one of the few fund managers in the industry who openly says that you don't actually want any more money going into your fund now how difficult has it been to communicate that to clients well, I think I think we've been fairly consistent with that message. I guess if there was a phase when it was difficult, there was of course a period in which one of our major comp- competitors, Neil Woodford, resigned, and obviously at that time there was maybe there was quite a lot of looser money, maybe looking for a, for a home in in some of the other funds, and that was probably the most challenging period uh, when you know we was obviously it's very very kind when people offer to give you sort of you know uh, you know more of their money to manage and it, and it but it's and it's sort of you know you feel slightly awkward in, in saying that you'd rather not take it. That was a more difficult phase. I'd say today it's become a little bit easier, the passage of time. Neil, of course, has launched his new fund at a new home, and, and in some regards that's taken some of that pressure off. Thanks very much, Clive. Hello, my name is Katrina Lloyd. I'm editor on Investment Week. I'm joined today by Jeremy Lang from Ardevora Asset Management. Thank you for joining us, Jeremy. Um, We're going to start by um, talking about one of the issues that's been discussed a lot at our Funds to Watch event, which is about capacity. Um, So, Jeremy, what sort of determines the capacity of your funds and how has this changed over recent years? What are the big sort of issues that you think about in this area? Okay, Um, there are a number of things here. There's uh, partly your investment style um, uh, and how quickly you buy and sell things, so if you like your kind of average holding period. Uh, There's also um, the number of stocks uh, that you typically hold in your portfolio. And then there's also uh, how much you rely on going down into uh, smaller businesses, uh, you know, particularly into the small cap index. So all of those are kind of relevant before you then get on to how it sort of changed and so on. So for someone like me, I run quite a concentrated portfolio, so I rarely have more than 45 stocks. Um, uh, I don't go into small cap, and I have quite a slow-moving style, but still I would expect to be selling 60% of the things that, uh, that I own in a given year. So I need to be able to move around. So those are the things that then will impinge my capacity, because my capacity is all about how easy it is for me to sell things when I want to sell them which is partly uh, I sell them for the nice reasons that they, they don't fit anymore, but also there'll be often times in my experience where you'll have to sell things because you just got them wrong, and those are often the most difficult ones to sell. And how important is sort of communicating what you're, what you're doing with clients in this area? What's your, been your strategy on, on that? Yeah, we've um, tended to be pretty open about the capacity that, uh, that we think we can manage our, in our UK stars. And the way we work that out is we, we look at what the um, typical smallest position, smallest size firm that we would, we, we would invest in. We work out how difficult it would be to sell that position given the amount of money that we would run. And then we kind of reverse engineer it from there. So I know that uh, if we run more than about one and a half billion sterling across all of our UK stars, because we've got a number of different funds, I know that uh, with, with the way my portfolio looks at the moment, um, uh, there will be positions that I will begin to you know, think twice about. And so the key thing for someone like me, particularly taking a fund from being very small uh, up to potentially larger, is it's got to be scalable. So your performance that you generate when your fund's small, you've got to be able to do the same thing all the way through the fund size. And that, that's where you get that capacity limit from. Thank you. And then just moving on to, um, to sort of the current in- environment for, for a fund management group, what, what in your view is sort of the, the biggest challenges for, for you as a, a, bu- a business at the moment? 
Well, I think part of this ties, uh, I I think, into the debate that we'll possibly have a bit later, which is about fund size and how you get the money into your fund, if you like, and the channels that that comes through. Because one of the things that we found, uh, starting from scratch, is that um, there is a minimum fund size that you must have, because most of the buyers who are going to make a difference to you as a business, uh, they want to own quite a lot of your fund. They want to put quite large amounts of money in. Um, And so you have to get your fund to a certain minimum size then to get people interested. But then you don't want it too big, because then that puts people off. Um, So there's a bit of a sweet spot on that. And it takes a long time and a lot of patience, if you like, to sort of get the fund to a position where it can, it can do both those things, be big enough, but not too big. That's great. Thank you very much, Jeremy. Thank you. I'm joined today at our Funds to Watch event by Gervais Williams, who is MD of Miting Group. Thank you very much for joining us today, Gervais. Hello there. Maybe, Gervais, we can start by um, just asking you, what determines the capacity of your funds and has this changed in recent years? Well, I think the whole thing about fund managers is we uh, like to set out that we're going to be long-term investors. And in a way, we should be uh, long-term co-managers with our clients in terms of what we invest. And that does involve clearly uh, setting up new funds at times when perhaps they're out of fashion, but also uh, addressing issues when they get very popular, when perhaps they're running hard and the share price is going up a lot. And we need to be very clear right from the start as the kind of capacities we can manage in these areas, because we do need to be long-term in terms of producing client returns if we're long-term investors. And what about communication with clients? I mean, do you think it's important maybe when you launch a fund to say it will, it will be capacity constrained at this point? Or is it more of a, a sort of fluid thing for you that you want to see how the market's developing and make those decisions as and when? I think if you're investing in particularly small micro caps, it's always going to be capacity restrained to some degree. Uh, so it's clearly a, a, a good client would normally ask anyway. We would normally have a clear answer. It does vary over time in that the markets double, then clearly the capacity will double. And so there's issues like that. Uh, it can be affected by the number of companies. So we have long portfolios. If there's a lot of issuance over the next two or three years, then that may, might mean that the funds can get a little bit bigger. But it's an issue which we need to address right from the start, have in mind, and clearly a very good question. Um, you mentioned in the debate that you feel this issue of, of capacity, especially for sort of small cap vehicles, is only going to get worse. And we're really at the sort of tip of the iceberg of it, really, at the moment. Uh, what, what, what did you sort of mean by that? What, what, what are the big dangers as you, as you see it? Yeah, what's interesting about the market at the moment is that it's consensual, really, to have a large percentage of your portfolio in the benchmark stocks. And if you get into small companies, most small cap fund managers are really involved in mid-small We've got very, very little capital in small micro. If we're right about the outlook, which is that small micro is the best performing sector by by, by far, and if we do find that the amount of capital at the small micro end is allocated, say, to 10 times the current level, we've got problems now. If we've got 10 times the amount of capital in this area, this problem's going to get a lot, lot worse. Um, And you you did talk in the debate about protection for investors at the moment, and you said you were taking some sort of market protection on on the fund. Can you just explain a bit about what what, what that is and and why you've taken that that position? Yes, if we take the multi-cap income fund or the diverse income trust, this is the only way we've really used it. This is an income fund. Being an income fund, it has to be always invested. We can't afford to have 10 or 20% in cash because we miss 10 or 20% of the income. So particularly in that fund, we've got a third of the fund covered, not because we think the market's going down, next week or next month we have no idea but most particularly because the value of the cost of protection is so low QE has artificially reduced the cost of protection so we can buy a 10% put say 12% out of the money it costs our clients on average 0.07% 0.07% per month and it just decays away 
And if the market was to have a savage pullback, maybe someone shoots the Prime Minister or whatever happens, then at that stage that would suddenly become worth 5, 7, maybe even more percent of the fund. And at that stage we could buy 5, 7 percent more income. And the only purpose really of those funds is to grow their income and it's in a way of, another way of adding value. And just finally, you also mentioned about um, the dangers of style drift on certain funds, um, particularly relating to um, to sort of capacity issues. If a huge amount of money is flowing in, what do you do with it? Does that change how the fund your sort of approach to investment? What, what's your sort of view on that in terms of the dangers of style drift that you've seen in your in your career? I, I think the problem often comes when it's uh, when flows into certain funds are sort of are determined in part by the the client activity. The fund's running hard. There's a lot of folks coming into the fund. It's very hard to buy those stocks, and there's a natural inclination for, for, for managers to, to widen the portfolio. Bizarrely, it's not such a big problem for us because we have long portfolios anyway. So we can, if we can't buy one stock, we'll buy another. It's fine. But if you've got a relatively focused sort of rifle shot type strategy, it does become more, more, more of an issue. Thank you very much, Gervais. Thank you. That's all we have time for today. We would love to hear your comments and ideas for future podcasts if there are any particular topics you would like us to cover. You can contact me via email at anna.fedorova, that's spelt F-E-D-O-R-O-V-A, at incisivemedia.com. Thank you for listening. <laughs>